Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here this week as we try to answer some of your questions about the Bible. That's what we do here each week is take viewers' questions. Uh, you'll notice there's a phone number and a website on the screen. You can use them anytime you want to get in touch with us and to let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We get a lot of special questions about a verse, a chapter, a topic, a doctrine uh, strictly from the Bible, and we get a lot of life kind of questions. Uh, folks just wonder about what's right and what's moral and what's going wrong here. And uh, the Bible's got a lot of principles that help us live life. So we're happy to find answers to those kind of questions. Whatever's on your mind, let us know and uh, we'll talk about what you're interested in. Let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Toby's back and studied up and ready to go. And uh, we got lots of questions. We always have so many. We're we never quite get ahead in this game, but we we go as fast as we can. Always questions to answer. Uh, plenty, but we'll always start with one for our viewing audience. Let's do that today. See if you know this little bit of Bible trivia. Lazarus was Jesus' good friend. He had two sisters. What were their names? And we'll give you that answer at the end of the program. And at the start of the program, Toby gets to start today. Yes, so. I drew the yes, first one, and the viewer on. asked the question, you said God knows when something bad is going to happen, and He allows it. Why would He allow it? Well, on the surface, it does seem kind of uh, difficult to understand how a good God could allow bad things to happen. The answer to that is free will, and that's the, that's the risky part of it. With free will comes the ability for human beings to do so much good. And more importantly, it's the only way human beings can love, truly love God. If you think about it, I suppose uh, in a very twisted sort of way, you could force someone to, to love you, but it's not really love. Um, I could program uh, my computer to come on in the morning when I get to my office and say, Hello, Toby, you look great today, you are a wonderful boss, and I'll do whatever you say. But a computer's only saying that because I've programmed it to do so. Um, when a, a, a living being has the ability to choose between right and wrong, well, of course, there's the risk that he or she will choose wrong. And that's what we know is sin. And we know sin has entered the world. And, and because God allows sin to happen, it doesn't mean He's pleased with sin. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, several times, in, or uh, one particular time, uh, God notes right before the flood that, that whole, the whole earth, mankind, had grieved His heart. Uh, sin truly breaks the heart of God. When bad things happen, you need to understand that it, just because it happens doesn't mean God is pleased with it, but He's just allowing human beings to have free choice. And so we have to understand that with free choice comes risk and certainly comes sin. Um, you think about uh, all of the, the consequences that come from sin. 
if you read the Bible, the Bible itself is a very honest book and deals very honestly with the consequences and the ramifications when people choose to do things that God never condones. Uh, just because God allows it doesn't mean He's condoning it. So I think we, there's a, a difference that we have to understand. If we think about it a little bit further, uh, you say, well, <clears throat> it, why, why doesn't God just stop bad things from happening? Well, I mean, how, how bad do you, does it have to be before God has to stop it? If I'm going down the, down the road and I drive one mile an hour over the speed limit, should God reach down His hand and slow my car down? Uh, you know, if I'm watching something inappropriate on television, should God flip the channel? Well, I mean, if we, if we start into the God should intervene in evil, uh, it's hard to draw a line. And usually we want to draw the line just a little bit to the right of where we are. Um, so in order to have free choice, we just have to realize with free choice comes great responsibility. If God al doesn't allow us the freedom to choose evil, uh, we can never have the ability to truly do good and to love Him. Let's look at a verse on the screen, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And I hope that helps explain it just a little bit. Free will is a little bit of a tricky thing to understand. Free will is the answer to so many questions we get on this program. It is, when yep. they start with why and yep. well, why doesn't God do this and that, it usually always comes back to free will. And yep. To have a loving relationship, you got to have the chance to not love. Yep, so that's right. That's the answer a lot of times. All right, question about prayer. If you do not kneel to pray, does God hear your prayers? Well, my answer is certainly God hears your prayers. Uh, God is uh, omniscient. He's omnipresent. Uh, he hears everything. So He hears your prayers. Now, I understand what the uh, viewers asking. They've evidently been taught that kneeling is a, a special way for God to hear your prayers somehow. Uh, God doesn't need to see your body. Uh, he knows what position your body is in, but He doesn't need to see that. Uh, what prayer is about is between our hearts or our minds and God's mind. Uh, God hears that way. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our mind. And no matter what we're saying outwardly or what position we're in, He knows what we're really thinking and want to communicate to Him. Uh, now, the body is an indicator uh, of the pre position of our heart, I think. Uh, we respond uh, appropriately to how our heart feels. Uh, before I talk about that just a little bit more, I'd give you, I'll give you a list here. I went looking through the Bible for people that were praying and I found these different positions uh, that I found. I'm sure there may be a few more. But people prayed in the Bible sitting. Some were just sitting down praying. Some were kneeling, uh, some bowed, uh, some stood while they prayed, uh, some prayed while they were walking, uh, some prayed with uplifted hands. And uh, Jesus, among others, went prostrate, laid down on the ground to pray. So those are the ones I found in the Bible, and God heard all of those prayers. It's not about the position of your body. But as I said, I think the position of the body does indicate where the heart is sometimes. And it ought to be appropriate for that. Uh, for instance, sometimes we are so stricken with the pain or the trouble or grief or uh, 
we don't even know what to pray sometimes, but in those kinds of times, we we may just fall down on our bed and bury our head in our pillow and pray our heart out. We're, we're prostrate. We're completely fallen down before the Lord. Uh, but that wouldn't be appropriate at other times. If you ask Junior to ask the blessing for the dinner, you wouldn't expect him to fall out of his chair and go prostrate on the ground and uh, say the evening prayer. Uh, wouldn't make sense. So that's what I'm saying is let the content of the prayer, the content of your heart determine more the body. Sometimes we feel like kneeling. Sometimes when we're praising God and worshiping we may uh, feel like raising our hands to God. Uh, so the position of the body has something to do with it, but it's more about us I think and how our heart feels uh, than what God is interested in. He, he knows your heart. He'll hear your prayer. So don't need to worry about kneeling. In fact, some of us with new knees can't kneel too well. So uh, I don't think he would require that. <laughs> All right, Toby, you get the next one. have a chronological question. A viewer asks, is there a time for you to be born and a time for you to die? Well, yes, Scripture seems to indicate the answer to that question is yes. Uh, there are several scriptures that we look at. <clears throat> uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 is probably the best well-known, made famous by a song. Uh, there is a time for everything, the verse says, and a season for every activity under heaven. <clears throat> a time to be born and a time to die. Now, of course, this is poetry, and, and uh, you have to understand that. And he's kind of making a larger point in, in the writing of this, that there's a season of life to everything, a time when it begins and a time when it ends. Psalm 139, verse 16, the psalmist there writes, All your days, all my days were ordained for me, written in your book before one of them came to be. So the question is not... How many days you have, uh, of course, that's Im interesting to think about, that God might have our day of birth and our day of death written down, but uh, and certainly the Lord knows that, but the question really is how you use the days that you're given. Uh, and so we ought to be very thoughtful and very wise in how we do that. Let's look at one verse on the screen from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 <coughs> and 28. And the writer there says, Just as people are destined to die once... And after that, to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting on Him. The question is, not how many days do you have, but are you dedicating those days to the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you submitting your life to His life and letting your days be His? So, I hope that helps. All right, good answer. <clears throat> take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we have some free materials that we uh, mail to folks and uh, all you got to do is call and ask for them or log on and say you'd like to study the Bible with us. And we've got some great uh, tools for studying your Bible. Uh, we've got a lot of viewers I know that are regular Bible students that spend a lot of time in their Bible and know where everything is and know most of the answers that we give before we give them. Uh, but we've also got a lot of folks that are new to Bible study or just have never gotten started in Bible study. And these are some good ways to do it with the, the courses that we'll give you for from uh, Know Your Bible. You see one course on the screen right now. Uh, there are eight lessons in it. It's a basic Bible study, good introduction to your Bible, and uh, you'll feel a lot more comfortable navigating around in your Bible after you've had this course. And then beyond that, we've got some more advanced courses that'll 
really help you understand your Bible. So if you want to know your Bible better, we'd like to help you with that. All you have to do is uh, use phone number, website, tell us you want that free course and we'll uh, put one in the mail immediately. And uh, you can work through it just as fast as you want or as slow as you want. And if you find out it's something that doesn't help you, you're not interested or you get too busy or come up with some other excuse or if it really just doesn't help, uh, you can stop at any time. We won't bother you in any way. So no risk policy here. Just uh, take us up on our free offer and see if it helps you know your Bible. All right, viewers got a question about a phrase we must have used occasionally on this program, and I'm sure we have. Uh, the viewer says, explain what you mean by the plan of salvation. And, well, we've gotten questions about what is the plan of salvation. We probably use that phrase at other times also. And I want to say it depends on which view you want to take of it. Uh, in the simplest view, in the biggest overview, just let me read you two verses from the Bible, and I, I could say that's the plan of salvation. Uh, you probably know one of the verses because it's John 3:16, uh, but let me read 16 and 17. 16 says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him." Well, there's the plan of salvation. God created a perfect world. He gave us free will like Toby just talked about. Uh, there was the risk that we would rebel and sin. We did rebel and sin. Adam and Eve did. So we separated ourselves from God. We needed to be reconciled to Him. We needed to be saved. God so loved us that He sent His Son to die for us because He didn't want anybody to perish. He wants us to be reconciled to Him. That's the plan of salvation. Uh, God loved us. God sent Jesus to save us. And if we believe that and believe in Christ, He'll save us. Now, I said that was big picture. That was the top-down look. That uh, That's the plan of salvation. But there's a little more to it. Uh, you could say that's God's part of the plan. And does man have any part? Well, if you go over to Acts chapter 2, Peter told the people the story that I just read you in those two verses. He said, Jesus is the Son of God. God sent Him to earth to save you because of your sins. You crucified Him on the cross. And the people's reaction was, what do we do? They understood the plan of salvation. They understood that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the Lord. They understood that God sent Him for their sins. And their question was, well, what do we do? And Peter answered them. He told them, well, there is something for you to do. And if you read through the New Testament, every once in a while you'll find a verse like that where Paul or some other apostle says, this saves you. You, ne you need to do this. And some people want to just take one of those, and some people want to put them all together and say, well, that's the plan of salvation. And that's kind of how we talk about it here on this program, is if there's a verse that says, this saves you, or you must do this to be saved, uh, then we think that's pretty important. We ought to put that in the plan, if you will, of what we need to do. So I've made a list of those that I've found in the New Testament, and you can find them too. Uh, Romans 10, 14, 15 says you have to hear. I mean, obviously, you've got to hear uh, who Jesus was. That's what Peter did on Pentecost, was tell the people that. 
once you've heard who Jesus was and John 3.16 and the plan and all that, uh, then you've got to believe, John 3.16 says. If you believe in him, then you'll be saved. Acts 17.30 says you have to repent also. Whoever repents will be saved. So you've got to make a change from your old life. And Romans 10.9 says you have to confess. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe he is Lord. I believe he is the Son of God. I believe all of that. And Acts 2.38 and many other verses say you need to be baptized. Uh, Peter says baptism saves us. Okay. Now, not, it's not one thing, and oh, in the big picture, it's the grace of God that saves us. <clears throat> That's God's part. But man does have a part. We have to respond to that good news and do those things. Uh, hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And so, <clears throat> back to my first statement, depends on your perspective. What's the plan of salvation? The big plan is God so loved us, He sent Jesus to die for us. But we need to respond to that with our part, and then God will save us. So um, either way you could talk about it, or you could put it all in one big list perhaps and say, now that's the plan of salvation. So hope that answers the viewer's question. And when we say plan of salvation, uh, we're usually talking about man's part on this program uh, because that's what people want to know. Uh, we can't understand John 3.16, Jesus died for us. And people want to know, do I have to do anything about that? So if we call it plan of salvation, that's probably what we're talking about on this program. Okay. All right, Toby. Patriotic uh, question. The viewer asks, uh, we are to obey the government. The Constitution and the Declaration of Independence says there is a time to revolt against government. Should Christians do that? Well, that's a very uh, well-stated question, interesting one to think about, food for thought. Of course, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2, it's not going to be on the screen, but it does tell us that uh, the government authority that, that Christians live under wherever they live was established by God. Now, what that does not, it's not saying that God condones evil, corrupt governments and dictators, it's saying that God has established government as a means of keeping order to prevent chaos and anarchy from ruling the world. Uh, government, in its <coughs> purest sense, ought to keep order and, and have a rule of law that we obey. And so, as such, Christians, wherever they're found, should, should be peaceable, uh, good citizens uh, who obey the rules of the land where they live. And that's a reasonable and just uh, important thing to do. There is an exception to that, in my personal opinion, and that is, I think Scripture backs this up, whenever the government makes rules that are directly uh, against the rules uh, and principles that God has laid down in Scripture. And in that situation, we have the responsibility to obey the higher authority. You know, God, of course, is greater than human governments, and human governments <coughs> will make mistakes. Uh, we know that there are examples of this in Scripture. Probably the famous one is uh, Daniel when they made the law that no one could pray to anyone but the king. Well, that didn't 
change Daniel. He kept right on praying as he had always done to the Lord God. And uh, he just let the chips fall where they may. He was willing to face the consequences because he knew that God was, was greater and God wanted a relationship with him. Uh, in Acts, uh, the apostles said famously, we must obey God rather than man. And so I think in those areas, now you got to be careful. I mean, you can't just um, I, I think you just have to use good common sense. Uh, but in general, you obey God first, and then to the best of that, uh, uh, within the constraints of His laws, you obey the government laws which are surround you. So if the two are, are at odds, do what the apostle said, obey God rather than human beings. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 together. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now pay attention to this. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all <clears throat> godliness and holiness. And so that's the goal. We want to pray for our leaders and Pray that they make decisions that allow Christians to live peaceable and godly lives. When there comes a time when they make rules where we can't, we have an obligation to serve the Lord and uh, to do the best of our ability under both. Yeah, thank you, Toby. Uh, interesting question about uh, when the kingdom came. The viewer says, precisely when did the people listening to Jesus in Matthew 16 and Luke 9, when did they see the kingdom come? Well, let's read Matthew 16, one verse, so you know what our viewer had in mind. And it's verse 28 where he sees that. And Jesus was talking about the kingdom and a number of other topics with folks after Peter had confessed that he was the Christ. And in verse 28, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So, we've got a group of people standing there listening to him. Uh, they're probably age 20 to 50 maybe. 50 was about the expected life age back then. So, maybe that was the old man standing there. And he said, some in this group won't die, won't taste death before I come in the kingdom. So, this viewer says, well, when was that? When, when did they see that? Okay, well, either... Uh, what the two options are. Either the kingdom came within 30, 40, 50 years of that life cycle of those people, or the kingdom hasn't come yet, in which case there's some really old folks somewhere <laughs> on earth. Uh, some of those people hadn't died yet, because that's exactly what Jesus said. Well, obviously those people died, so obviously the kingdom has come, and our viewer wants to know when was that. Well, here's a clue. Uh, before Acts chapter 2, before the day of Pentecost, anytime the Bible talks about the kingdom, it's in the future tense. It's talking about the, the kingdom coming. For instance, when Jesus taught his apostles to pray, he taught them to pray, Thy kingdom come. That meant it hadn't come yet. Okay. Now, after the day of Pentecost, any time in the New Testament where you read the word kingdom or uh, its substitute word church, any time you read that, it's talking about it in the present tense. The kingdom is here. Okay, So with that clue, uh, we can deduce that the kingdom came on the day of Pentecost. Now, reading further, we can figure out 
what did Jesus give Peter? He told Peter, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. You get to open up the gates to the kingdom. You get to tell people how to get into the kingdom. Well, what did Peter do on the day of Pentecost? He preached the gospel message. He said, repent and be baptized. You'll be saved and you'll be added to the church, which is also called the kingdom. So that's when the kingdom started. Now, obviously, it's going to be more fully realized in the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom exists on earth now. Jesus is reigning from heaven. Uh, the church is his people, his kingdom. Let's look at one verse I told you after the day of the Pentecost. The Bible always talks about the kingdom in the present tense. Uh, let's look at Colossians 1.13. Paul said, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul said he has brought us into the kingdom. So that's when the kingdom started. That's when some of those people were still alive and saw it realized. Uh, and Jesus is reigning over his kingdom now. All right, let me invite you to church before we finish today. Uh, church of Christ near you. Uh, who provides this program for you and keeps us on the air. And we like to mention some each week. Let me talk about one here in Wichita, Kansas this week. The East Point Church of Christ. Been a long time supporter of Know Your Bible. A great bunch of folks out there do a lot of good mission work, uh, uh, medical mission work. Have a hospital they built over in Africa. A lot of good works. Patrick Barber's the minister there. And I know you'd enjoy hearing him uh, talk about the Bible with you. Uh, visit the East Point Church of Christ sometime or any Church of Christ in your market area. Uh, if you're ever in Wichita, drop by Northside, the home church of Know Your Bible, but visit the church or uh, let, if you know somebody at the Church of Christ, tell them you watch the program and appreciate them providing it for you. All right, time for one more. Toby. Okay. Uh, viewer wants to know, please discuss protecting property and killing in self-defense. Well, uh, basic principle here is human life is special to God, and Genesis 9-6 tells us that whoever sheds human blood by uh, their blood, uh, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And so he, with using that scripture, uh, basically uh, sets the standard that human life is different than all other types of life, and it should be protected, especially innocent life. Now, when a life has committed a, a wrong and uh, committed crimes against the state, uh, that's a different scenario. But innocent life, uh, we should absolutely protect it and, and hold it uh, in esteem as God does. And so that's important. Now, uh, on the subject of protecting property, you have to use wisdom there, I think. Uh, in my view, uh, property and stuff, you know, there's nothing worth risking your life over that. And so somebody's robbing your home. Uh, I don't know if you let them take your big screen TV or something like that, but uh, you know, if they threaten your family or your life, or the life of your family to harm them anyway, I don't see a problem with uh, defending yourself and using wisdom in that decision. So you have to weigh carefully property versus life, uh, but scripture does say very clearly that life is important and sacred and we ought to stand up for it and we ought to uh, take a stand. So quick answer on a deep question, but hope that'll help some to some degree. Yep, that helps. Uh, the Old Testament law, of course, was if somebody was in your tent and it was dark, yep. uh, they may have been trying to steal your 
cooking pot, but yep. they might have been trying to hurt you too. So right. if you whacked them with a stone and they died, you were all right. Yep. Exodus 22. Yeah. As long as it was dark, they, uh, you didn't know what to do. <laughs> all right, let's make sure we get a trivia question answered today before we finish. And it was the sisters of Lazarus, and what were their names? Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus. We're glad you were with us today. We're out of time, but we're going to be back next week. More of your questions then. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.